Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello. And welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. One of Indiana's most popular farms is facing public backlash after an investigative video published Wednesday showed a string of animal abuses. The Animal Rights Advocacy Organization, ARM, or Animal Recovery Mission, published a video on YouTube Wednesday detailing repeated abuses of livestock at Fair Oaks Farms. Fair Oaks, which is located off Interstate 65, past Lafayette in northern Indiana, is a popular tourist attraction and is used by several Indiana school districts to teach children about modern dairy farming. The farm also hosts Fair Oaks Adventure, which is a tourist attraction aimed at educating visitors on sustainable practices and dairy farming. ARM's investigative video shows Fair Oaks employees repeatedly abusing young dairy calves and Fair Oaks selling young male calves to veal farms. Fair Oaks Farm is the largest dairy in the United States. They have created a joint venture with the Coca-Cola Corporation. The difference between Fair Oaks Farm's dairy adventure and the reality of the dairy industry is night and day. In a statement on Facebook, Fair Oaks public relations director wrote, it is a shock and an eye-opener for us to discover that under our watch we had employees who showed disregard for our animals, our processes, and for the rule of law, unquote. With over 30,000 dairy cows, Fair Oaks is the largest dairy farm in Indiana and among the largest in the U.S. Indiana scientists want to protect backcountry areas of the Morgan, Monroe, and Yellowwood State Forest. Dr. Leslie Bishop said the backcountry area is developing characteristics of secondary old-growth forest. These areas have regrown since the deforestation of the late 19th and early 20th centuries so that the biodiversity has significantly rebounded. Bishop lead author and other scientists are proposing that the backcountry areas be managed to allow old growth forests to return. They have submitted a proposal to the Indiana Department of Natural Resources that would protect the 2,308 acre backcountry area from future logging. The designation of a High Conservation Value Forest, or HCVF, is a protective designation defined by the International Forest Stewardship Council, a sustainable forestry auditing agency. Midwest farmers are applying more glyphosate than ever before. The Midwest Center for Investigative Reporting analyzed U.S. geological survey data and found that farmers across the Midwest used 188 million pounds of glyphosate in 2016. 
That's 40 times more than in 1992. There is no available data for the years since 2016. The Midwest accounts for 65% of our country's use of glyphosate. The 12 states in the Midwest, which include Indiana, grow most of the nation's soybean and corn crops. Farmers use glyphosate today as the primary way to control weeds on crops that have been genetically engineered to withstand the herbicide. Chronic, ultra-low doses of the chemical accumulate in the environment, leading to glyphosate-resistant weeds and microorganisms. Also, residues in soil and water, such as the breakdown product aminomethyl phosphonic acid, or AMPA are toxic to micro and macro organisms. The heavy use of glyphosate has led to weeds that are resistant to the herbicide, so it is not as effective as it once was. Conservation organizations are asking Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb to oppose a plan that could weaken clean water protections for the Ohio River. The Ohio River Valley Water Sanitation Commission, or SANCO, is going to vote soon on a plan that would make adoption of the agency's pollution control standards for the river voluntary. Or SANCO argues that its standards are not needed since states and the EPA already set water quality standards. However, Gail Hess, a Great Lakes expert, thinks Orsanko should be providing oversight. She says, quote, We need regional standards for a river that needs to be managed as a connected system, unquote. Indiana contains 315 riverfront miles on the, of the Ohio River and about 29,000 square miles of the Ohio River Basin. Sewage, contamination, farm runoff, and pollution seriously threaten the river, which provides drinking water for 5 million people. The United States Department of Agriculture released a crop progress report showing historic delays in corn and soybean planting across the country. Farmers have delayed planting this year throughout the Midwest because of heavy rainfall and waterlogged fields. At this point in the season, corn planting is normally 95% complete. This year, farmers have only planted 60% of their intended acres. This translates to nearly 40 million acres of corn still waiting to be planted. Corn is typically planted in the spring because it does not grow well at temperatures over 90 degrees and stops growing when temperatures reach 95 degrees. Soybeans are planted later than corn but show a similar pattern this year falling behind the five-year average. The U.S. is only one-third done planting soybeans, while the five-year average is two-thirds. As of this week, there are still 60 million acres of soybeans unplanted. The last 120 living Florida panthers, some of the most endangered animals in the U.S., are threatened with habitat loss from a new housing development. Real estate developers are awaiting a decision by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on whether to approve the development on land that includes the panther's habitat. This population is the world's only breeding Florida panther population. If approved, the plan would allow developers to convert panther habitat in eastern Collier County, Florida into a 45,000-acre development.
It would destroy about 20,000 acres of panther habitat that is considered extremely critical to the panther's survival. Besides habitat loss, the plan could bring 174,000 new residents and 180,000 more vehicles to the county. Vehicle collisions are the primary cause of panther deaths. The Fish and Wildlife Service has received over 30,000 public comments demanding rejection of the plan. Microplastics have been found in house dust, table salt, and ocean trenches. Now scientists have shown that the tiny plastic pieces are even raining down on us from the sky. Scientists took samples in remote locations of the Pyrenees Mountains in France and discovered that on average 365 pieces of plastic particles, fibers, and films are deposited per square meter every day. This number is on par with research conducted in Paris, France, and Dongguan, China. Higher amounts of pollution are expected in these places. Steve Allen, the study's lead author, called their finding, quote, astounding and worrying, end quote, considering the distance from any population center. Allen's study was conducted four miles from the nearest small town and 70 miles from the nearest city. The most common plastics were found in polystyrene and polyethylene, which are used in single-use packaging. Researchers at Imperial College London are developing sensors to reduce food waste. The sensors are being designed to replace traditional best-buy stickers on food labels, which are prone to inaccuracy. The researchers cite data which shows that UK consumers throw away about $15 billion worth of food, which is safe to eat, yearly. In order to solve this issue, the researchers created smartphone-linked and environmentally friendly sensors for food. These sensors are also produced at a much lower cost than existing types, which could lead to consumer savings. The researchers hope that these sensors can be rolled out as early as three years from now. These sensors could be more useful alternative to use-by stickers because they show when food is actually spoiled. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. Support, Support for, Eco- for Eco Report comes from Bloomington Foods Market and Deli. Bloomington's locally grown co-op groceries since 1976, offering products which, with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Now it's time for Get Out and Hike. This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker. This week, I'm with Jill Vance, a naturalist at Monroe Lake, who will be talking to us about a few fine trails just south of Bloomington, Indiana. At Fairfax State Recreation Area on Monroe Lake, we have uh, one marked trail for people, and it's called the Big Oak Trail. It's uh, about a 1.7-mile loop, roughly, uh, with a little side loop off of that. They'll give you an extra quarter mile. Uh, It is called the Big Oak Trail because there is a 
big oak tree along it, uh, one of the trees uh, that survived the cutting when the land was being cleared for farmland and uh, has persevered up through today um, as the forest has grown back in around it. So it's pretty neat. It's by the North Trailhead, and it's definitely uh, worth checking out. Um, Big Oak Trail is overall rated moderate. Uh, the There is a couple, well, there's one very big steep hill climb, um, and you're going to hit it either way, whether you go in from the north or the south, you're going to end up climbing up. Um, but once you're up on the top of the hill, it's, uh, it is flat and wide up on top. Uh, the lower section of the trail uh, crosses over uh, three or four little creek beds, so you want to be prepared, make a little jump there. It is an accessible trail for children, um, although I probably wouldn't recommend it for uh, the toddler age range. Uh, and the, the little, if you're looking to grab that little extra quarter of a mile, the evergreen loop that comes off the Big Oak Trail circles around the little pond and the planted um, evergreen area, um, and it's a really scenic place and a good place to go in the spring too if you want to do some uh, frog watching or frog listening. Uh, it's at Fairfax State Recreation Area, which is one of our gated locations. Uh, so there is an entry fee charged uh, from late spring uh, all the way through the fall months. Uh, however, we do not charge there uh, during the winter. So you know, mid-November to about mid-March, uh, entry is free to Fairfax. Thank you, Jill. How old would you say this uh, oak tree is? Uh, well, when our map was made, they they noted it probably around 175 years old. I don't know that it's ever actually been cored. Um, I would I would put it probably at a guess at 200 plus. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. The Indian Department of Natural Resources is warning customers of Walmart and Rural King that plants purchased from those stores in Indiana are likely infected with a fungus. As WFHB's Graham Capito reports, the fungus is very dangerous for Indiana's native oak forests. Plants containing an oak-killing fungus have been sold in Indiana. Rhododendrons contaminated with a fungal pathogen have been discovered after being sold from Walmart and Rural King. The Department of Natural Resources confirmed that more than 70 Walmarts and 18 Rural Kings stocked plant with the disease. Megan Abraham is the director of the Division of Entomology and Plant Pathology at the Indiana DNR. Abraham is coordinating the response to the discovery of the fungus, which she says could devastate Indiana's oak hickory forests. So it's actually a fungal disease. Um, stems from a fungus called Phytophthora romorum, and people refer to it as sudden oak death or sod. Um, and basically, it's a, it's a pathogen that can travel in host material. There's over a hundred different species that it can um, in, infect without killing. Um, and it basically, a lot of those species are in the nursery trade. So this is something that a lot of states survey for every year in their nurseries to make sure that they're not introducing into Indiana or to other states. Um, and so right now, most of the Phytophthora remorum that's known about is actually on the West Coast in um, 
the Washington and Washington State, Oregon, Northern California areas. Um, and it's been there for a few decades now. Um, but we do what we can to make sure that any nursery stock that travels in from those states is not accidentally infected with this, this pathogen that can spread sudden oak dust. The pathogen actually really likes cool, wet weather, which is something that we've had quite a bit of this year. Um, and so it was expressing some symptoms, and we found it in a, in a regular nursery inspection that we were doing at Walmart in Bartholomew County in the middle of April. Um, and usually when you go to one of these um, box stores like Walmart, they have a vendor that brings in material from out of state, and they ship it in large quantities, and it's distributed through all of the stores in that state. And so we knew there was probably more out there. So we went to several other Walmarts and collected samples, had those tested as well, and they came back positive for Phytophthoromorin as well. Um, and so symptoms to look for would be um, a browning of the leaves uh, in the rhododendrons and a general overall wilting look to the plant. There are some species of plants that get it more often than others. Uh, rhododendron, viburnum, uh, azaleas are a few of those more common hosts for this pathogen and some that we really comb through when we're infecting nurseries looking for signs and symptoms. The Associated Press reports that plants were delivered to several other states, but that Indiana has the most locations with plants carrying the fungus. So you never know um, what's going to happen, but the most likely, because of its ability to kill oak material in particular, it's actually killed millions of oak trees on the West Coast. Um, but most of the oak trees out on the West Coast are um, live oak and other species of oak that are kind of brushy, and so they're not, they don't make up the majority of their forests out there like they do here in the Midwest. In the Midwest, we have oak hickory forests, and that's the majority, oak hickory, maple, those are the majority of what's growing in our woods. So these oak trees that are out there that are in our natural resources as well as being grown for timber and logging, of course, would be at risk if this pathogen was released in our environment. Dr. Ray Schnapp is the conservation director for the Indiana Forest Alliance. Schnapp says the fungus has not spread to state forests as of yet, but if it were to spread into the wild, there could be serious repercussions to Indiana's vast population of oak, rivaling the damage caused to thousands of acres of state forests by the invasive emerald ash borer. We have a lot of um, oak hickory forests, and uh, oaks are just a big part of our forest ecology in Indiana. We have many different types of oaks, so we're just really hoping that this disease doesn't, that we don't get an outbreak here. I hate to contemplate it because it would be, you know, it would just be a really big deal, probably bigger than emerald ash borer, and that's a pretty big deal. And if we do get infestations, it seems quite possible that the 
Division of Forestry would then say that they want to undertake salvage logging to try to recover some economic value from those trees that are affected before they're before they're destroyed completely. And I mean, we have that going on right now with with the Emerald Ash Board. They're doing salvage logging of ash so that any trees that might survive are are being taken before they have a chance to survive. Uh, we're we're just hoping it doesn't go that far. Abraham says customers should be cautious when buying from a tree nursery or greenhouses. So I think, again, it's just another example of being very conscious of what you need, what you're bringing into your environment. Um, a lot of times um, we don't really think about it. We order things online. We order something from the other side of the world, and it shows up the next day. And that's fantastic for convenience sake, but we have to be careful about what we introduce because it wasn't intentional to bring this pathogen in. It just kind of hitched a ride on some nursery stock that was coming here anyway. So that's just another example of being really careful about what we introduce into our environment. For people who think they may have bought an infected plant, there are community resources to help contain the spread. More information on sudden oak death and the fungus that causes it are available on the DNR's website, in.gov slash DNR. For WFHB, I'm Graham Capito. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now, it's time for In Nature. This is In Nature. Eastern box turtles, or Terrapina carolina carolina, were in the recent past a common terrestrial turtle in the eastern United States. However, now this species is considered of special concern because of loss of habitat and because these turtles are often sold in the pet trade. It is against the law in Indiana to take a turtle from the wild. Eastern box turtles prefer moist, deciduous, or mixed bottomland forests and use shallow streams to cool off during warm weather. If the weather is particularly hot, the turtles will also submerge themselves in wet mud. Box turtles have a hinge on the bottom shell or plastron and have a high domed upper shell or carapace. They can pull their heads and limbs into their shell and tightly close it, foiling predators. Their shell coloration is brown with a pattern of yellowish or orange radiating lines or spots. The males have red eyes and a plastron that is concave, allowing him purchase when he climbs on top of the female to inseminate her. The female has brown eyes and a flat plastron. Box turtles can live for 50 to 100 years and do not breed until they are about 10 years old. Once inseminated, the female can store viable sperm for up to four days. She lays her eggs in the soil from mid-May to early June, and the sun incubates them. A variety of predators feast on the eggs. 
Adding to their vulnerability, young turtles are unable to close the hinge of their shells until they are four or five years old. Eastern box turtles are omnivorous, eating fruit, earthworms, slugs, small insects, rotting meat, mushrooms, flowers, and berries. Because of their low metabolism, if food is not available, they can retreat into their shells and can wait until conditions are more favorable. Box turtles overwinter by digging into the soil, going deeper as the winter progresses. You've been listening to In Nature. And now for events in our listening area. The John Waldron Arts Center is celebrating the summer season with water-themed art and photography on Friday, June 7th from 5 to 8 p.m. The water-themed exhibits are a series of events called Water, a Celebration. The four-part series is intended to educate the public and encourage safekeeping of our water resources, particularly Lake Monroe. Payne Town State Recreation Area is hosting a class exploring the history of honeybees in the United States. It will be at the Payne Town State Recreation Area on Saturday, June 8th, and run from 12.30 to 2 p.m. Meet at the Activity Center patio. Learn how to recognize the different owl calls and discover where each owl species is most likely to be heard at the Owls Among Us presentation. It will be at the Payne Town State Recreation Area on Saturday, June 8th, from 8 to 8.45 p.m. Meet at the Activity Center Amphitheater. A Lake Monroe paddling trip is scheduled at the Pine Grove State Recreation Area on Tuesday, June 11th from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Explore the quieter side of Lake Monroe during a guided tour through backwaters, wetlands, bogs, and slow-moving streams. You must have at least two hours of paddling experience. Register at the Indiana DNR website. There will be a presentation on nighttime predators at Brown County State Park. It will be on Thursday, June 13th from 10 to 10.30 a.m. Meet at the Nature Center to learn about the predators that come out at night and their habits. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, Linda Green, and Wes Martin. Today's feature was produced by Norm Holy. Get Out and Hike was produced by Jan Walker, and Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Wes Martin engineered today's show. Andrew Brown, Kaylin Huffman-Brower, and Sarah Vaughn edited the script. Executive producer is Wes Martin. 
Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, as well as in nature and secret life of fungi episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Juliana Daly. And this is EcoReport. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.